0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 301 of the Fun with Cars Formula One and Other Motorsports podcast, or episode 35 of 2021. That means we're officially five fold above what we were last year. I'm Robin Warner, and today I'm joined by the man who really needs to improve his voodoo skills against Verstappen. I mean, honestly, there's too much collateral damage, Chris. Christopher Rose. Hey, Chris. Hey, Robin. It is Tuesday morning, September 14th, and Chris and I are going to talk about the Italian Grand Prix. A quick note, there was also a Portland IndyCar race um, on the same day, but we're not going to talk about that this week. We're going to talk about it next week, along with the other IndyCar race going on, which is the Laguna Seca race, which I'm very excited about. So, um, no IndyCar this week, double IndyCar next week, and also... I want to say in honor of all my Anglican friends, I have my hot tea. It is a blend as very similar to British breakfast. And I added <laughs> milk and sugar even. So I'm having it as the Brits do. Uh, cheers to uh, the lot of you.
1: <laughs> yep, hot tea is the only way to drink it. Oh, boy. Oh, boy.
0: Biting my tongue it makes it hard to drink the tea when i'm biting my tongue
1: (laughs) so yeah monza it happened it was um there was a few talking points we had a sprint race qualifying friday sprint saturday yeah race on sunday
0: yeah no one cares no (laughs) one cares hamilton verstappen chris whose fault was it which side do you fall on i i think we have a debate coming
1: not really so uh Verstappen should have conceded the corner, should have gone over and cut the corner, gone over the uh, turn left, over the sausage kerb and given given Hamilton the corner, thus avoiding the collision. Instead, he, he still tried to keep the inside line for the, the left-hander of the chicane, uh, thus riding over Hamilton's car onto his, uh, onto his halo. I mean, look, there were two incidents between them. There was one on the first lap, where Hamilton tried an audacious outside move on Verstappen. Verstappen squeezed him, so Hamilton cut the chicane. And it was exactly the same scenario, but at the first chicane. and But Verstappen wouldn't concede, and therefore they collided. And uh, the stewards correctly gave Verstappen a three-grid place penalty for Russia. So I think, you know, there's no doubt.
0: So you're, you're absolutely factually correct that the stewards deemed... Verstappen was at fault The stewards gave Verstappen a three grid penalty I think That this specific Incident was Lewis Hamilton's fault And I think that Because I think that American racing Is better than European racing (laughs) And I think that That means Well let's get into it Here's the fact
1: you're actually going to make a sensible Lewis, point though.
0: Lewis gave Lewis gave Verstappen a lane entering turn one. Verstappen was not fully alongside. He never was fully alongside. That is absolutely true. The stewards were accurate about that. But he was definitely alongside and Lewis Hamilton did not continue to give him a lane entering turn two, second part of the chicane. Hamilton pinched Verstappen. Now the flip side to that is exactly what you mentioned. Per American racing rules, Verstappen 100% did not give Lewis Hamilton a lane. What was it? Was that the first lap or the second lap? First couple of laps, anyway, going into turn four. And that was 100% Verstappen's fault. The point I'm making is that this is why American racing is better. What happened to how did it become okay to push people off the road? Why is that an acceptable form of racing? So let me just say real quick that I don't actually think this was Lewis Hamilton's fault per formula one racing rules as they are now. 100%. The stewards were consistent and accurate with what they did. My point is that this is what I get so frustrated with European racing about. How did this become the norm? This isn't racing. It's figure-eight racing. This is a demolition derby this way. I don't... You know, when you have two people vying for championships, close championships, both in fast cars, both superstar drivers, this is inevitable. And we've now had them run into each other twice. First time at the British Grand Prix, Max Verstappen evaded potentially serious injury. This time, we're not for the halo. Lewis Hampton evaded serious injury. So... I, my point is, Europe, wake up, American racing is better, start changing.
1: Well, look, so so I don't disagree with you. What I would like to have seen is the two of them make it through the first chicane and continue that battle, you know, around around the right-hander into the Roger chicane and throughout the whole lap. That's what we really wanted to see, right? Was was some side-by-side, real hard, aggressive racing, but where they don't hit each other. And you could argue that, that that largely happened on the first lap, right? So Hamilton got past Norris, you know, that everyone managed to make it through the first chicane on the first lap and Hamilton managed to to get past Norris into third, tried to take Verstappen, um, got pushed over the chicane and Norris got the position back, right? So no one had hit each other and there was some good, good fun racing, right? We had a bit of reshuffle. But I think the reason why we had the collision is you need to step back and take a slightly bigger picture to the weekend and the championship battle. Mercedes had a decisive car advantage this weekend. They were, at, at some points in qualifying, miles ahead. Verstappen did really well to get his car on the, on the third place on the grid and minimise the damage and get ahead of the two McLarens, which he knew was key to his weekend. And he knew that if Hamilton... Um, was ahead of him it was over that hamilton was going to you know score a, a boatload of points and uh, erode his championship lead or maybe even reverse it so he was desperate to try and do anything to get uh, to get ahead of hamilton and and that judy worked out because of the sprint race format and hamilton's poor start yada yada but ultimately the point where they collided was key he'd had a slow Verstappen had, had a slow stop Hamilton was, was on the verge of, well, was now ahead of him and was looking to then obviously pull away and, and now actually use that car advantage. And Verstappen knew he would never catch him in, in a normal remainder of the race. So he had a choice, right? Do you concede and race the, uh, and race fairly or do you take your opponent out just as he, I think, views that Hamilton did to him at Silverstone? So by taking Hamilton out, he protects his championship lead and he, he prevents any, any point loss. So from a from a championship context Verstappen's the huge winner here. Hamilton did not take advantage of having a, a you know a better car at Monza and Verstappen minimized any loss. In fact, you know, Verstappen scored more points than Hamilton over the weekend. He got a couple of points from the sprint race finish. So this is a massive defeat I think for Hamilton and Mercedes this weekend. They really messed it up. They should have I mean Hamilton should have scored, you know, 25 plus points this weekend. But because of his uh, you know poor qualifying, he only qualified second because of his poor start in the sprint race, dropping behind Bottas, Verstappen, and sue McLarens. Hamilton was always struggling to recover. And that put him vulnerable to having to race wheel-to-wheel with Verstappen. And it's, and it's cost him big time. And it might actually be decisive in the championship, honestly.
0: Well, and I think, really, you could boil it all down to that poor start in the sprint qualifying. I mean, if you if you had to put your finger on one specific thing because Hamilton's qualifying performance wasn't perfect but it, it was right there but that poor start in the sprint qualifying race proved decisive because he was once again behind a mclaren he was faster than that mclaren but not faster enough to get around it and it was fascinating that we saw the limitations of DRS as these cars are so trimmed out in the first place, the effect of stalling out their rear wing is less at a track that is you know, so high speed in the first place. But if you look at all the things that happened, Hamilton having a bad start on the Saturday Sprint qualifying was the single most influential part to all of this because it would have been irrelevant if Verstappen had a slow pit stop um, because Hamilton would have been ahead from the beginning anyway. And it also would have been very likely had Hamilton had a better start that at some point he would have swapped positions with Botas and had that cushion to help him even
1: further. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you.
0: Yeah. And you're absolutely right that in that larger context, Verstappen got ahead. It was very much a a Senna Prost kind of a moment, you know. But looking at it in isolation, why can't we have close fair racing? And I think that's the second part that I said, the fair part. And it was just as much Verstappen on lap one as it was Hamilton um, post-Hamilton's pit stop. And I guess it's just, I'm lamenting that this has become the acceptable way to race in Formula One as much as anything.
1: I, I, think, I think you're generalizing. I think this is Verstappen's way of racing in Formula One. Verstappen has always been a very hard racer and completely uncompromising, and he forces other drivers to decide if they want to crash or not. And so generally he gets his way. Um, Hamilton has decided that, unlike in previous years, where it made more sense for him to to not collide, with Verstappen that now he has to stand his ground, and so now we 've had two collisions in you know the space of less than half a half a dozen races um, the The reality is it doesn 't make any sense for either of them to give way right in that situation they 've decided that they 'd rather collide <laughs> i mean i mean no I, I stand corrected I mean Hamilton was smart. In the first incident, he kept his race alive. And, and the reason was he knew he had a car advantage. He knew he should be you know, scoring a lot of points that weekend. So it was in his interest not to collide with Verstappen. But in the second situation, it wasn't in his interest to allow Lewis to make the move. And Lewis was vulnerable at that stage. I mean, it's a shame. I mean, hopefully, hopefully in, in both drivers' minds, it's one all now. So let's hope that they can be a bit smarter, be a little less uncompromising and give each other a bit more racing room.
0: Yeah, no, I I hear you there. And I I do agree with you that Verstappen is definitely one of the most egregious of uh, maximizing what uh, Formula One allows in terms of, quote unquote, fair racing. And uh, to a certain extent, if you want to look at the worst offender of this thing I'm discussing, Verstappen is that person currently. And if you want to look for well what's what would be great close racing without that, how about Hamilton and Alonso at Hungary earlier this year where Ocon went on to win. That was brilliant brilliant racing and it was categorically fair. Both drivers knew that they could trust the other and all the fans knew they were just watching Masters at work, and it wasn't about pushing someone off the road. It was about placing the car on corner entry to keep them from being able to get um, a run at corner exit. And that's something that Hamilton and Alonzo are very good at. No one is better than Alonzo at that, and that's the kind of racing we can look forward to if it's not only Masterclass but also FAIR. Yeah, I agree with you that uh, Verstappen always pushes the limits, takes that "quote unquote" fair racing right to the edge, and then always blames, always blames the other driver when they when there is an incident, and it is frustrating. I what was really telling to me was the body language of the team principals when they were interviewed. Toto Wolff versus Christian Horner especially in Christian Horner Christian Horner is like look you could argue both sides Mm -hmm. Christian knew that this was Verstappen's fault from the beginning he knew from the moment it happened this was Verstappen's fault do
1: you know what this race reminded me of it reminded me of the the same Monza event in 2016 when Hamilton was racing Rosberg for the title and in that Grand Prix Hamilton also made a poor start and uh and and really, you know, put a big dent in his in his fight back in the championship against Rosberg. I mean, you know, this one thing I will say about Verstappen this year, he has been phenomenal in utilising the, the the Red Bull when it's been at its best. So let's let's look at the Dutch Grand Prix, right? He, the Red Bull and, and Verstappen had a marginal performance advantage over Hamilton and and to a lesser degree Bottas. And he was perfect. He never made a mistake. He qualified on pole. He, he led uh, supremely throughout most of the Grand Prix, made the decisive pass on Botas when he had to, right? And he executed. Had a perfect good race weekend. start. Yep. Everything was flawless. So now we get to Monza and, and uh, the roles are reversed. Hamilton now has the car advantage and he needed to deliver the same level of performance and maximize his championship points over the weekend. And he utterly failed to do so. He came away with zero points. I mean, that... that is is what's going to decide the championship between these two? Is is maximising the car that you have on those on those better weekends? And uh, so I, I see this as a huge swing in Red Bull and Verstappen's favour. Really, I, I think it's going to be hard for Hamilton and Mercedes to come back from this because I don't see another Grand Prix circuit where Mercedes will have such a decisive advantage again. I think they'll they'll always be on the back foot for for many of the the balance of the races. Maybe with the exception of Russia, now Verstappen has got the penalty. It's going to be up to Hamilton to to get it on pole and to win the race from pole. But we all know that Botas is <laughs> very strong in Russia, generally. And, uh, and he, Botas had a wonderful weekend at Monza, really, really quick. I mean, to get on the podium with a power unit um, penalty that forces you to start from the back of the race, that was a really good effort. And, a, and a, you know, there was nothing wrong with his qualifying pace. He outperformed uh, uh, Hamilton fair and square on his second Q3 run. So, you know, Hamilton's got his hands full and I think he's uh, he's going to struggle from here on in honestly.
0: Yeah, well, that's a fair point and I think you're absolutely right that Hamilton is getting too old for this and should retire <laughs> immediately. I think that's that's what you're inferring, right? So Well, uh-huh. it was mm-hmm. aside from the ultimate the the crescendo of the Hamilton V Verstappen battle that we've had for the last three weekends in a row seesawing around it was a fantastic racing weekend in general i'm going to sound like an old curmudgeon again but i'm zero for two for these qualifying events these qual sprint qualifying they're just they're not value added to me at all
1: yeah the um the sprint race was nothing of the kind was it uh there was no racing other than the first uh two corners i think uh it was very disappointing you know it's, it's like a first stint in a regular grand prix and there's not really much incentive for drivers to do any do or die maneuvers right i mean essentially if you find yourself running fifth or sixth early in the sprint then you're going to probably settle for that and hope to jump a couple more cars at the start of the race proper aren't you rather than risking you know a collision damage or anything else in a last minute lunge for a place uh you know, I mean, there is, some, there is some adjustment in order. I mean, if you look at Alonso, for example, Alonso qualified 13th. He finished the sprint race in 11th and then was able to finish the actual race in 8th. So, you know, he is one of the, the few drivers who can seemingly maximize uh, performance from this format. But he's one of the few drivers that really moved significantly from uh, his original qualifying position. Um, disagree,
0: completely disagree. Pierre Gasly moved significantly from his qualifying position.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's okay.
0: <laughs> and, but I mean, seriously, this is this is you're absolutely right about Alonso. But this is the flip side of it: is that these first these first lap incidents happen, and people that did a lot of hard work, it just gets thrown out. Now, it's it's just frustrating to me.
1: Well, yeah, every time you have a. A standing start, you risk someone. You know, there's the opportunity to leap up, like Ricardo took, and there's the opportunity to fall down. I mean, that's that's the that's the only benefit of the sprint format is that you're introducing another full-blown Grand Prix start in the course of a weekend, and that always shuffles the pack. So maybe we should just do a one-lap sprint and we just do the shuffle, <laughs> yeah, and then we I mean, we stop. <laughs> that,
0: that would not make that make that Q four. It's like okay let's all line up, do a lap, and see where everybody falls. Yeah. I mean yeah uh, but i will and I will say there was one i I think there is one other thing to learn from sprint qualifying. I prefer Friday qualifying qualifying. I prefer it just on the red just on the soft tire for the full session for the full session. There's no strategy, there's no gamemanship of any kind there. It's just everyone flat out all the time. That's the end of it. I, I think I prefer that.
1: Yeah, I think there's... I, I like qualifying on Friday and I like it on the same tire. I think with the sprint, they've got to do something to change it, whether that's seriously reducing the number of laps. Maybe you just make it an even 10 laps or something uh, or even fewer, eight laps. And then also, I think maybe a few more points. Maybe there needs to be an adjustment in points between the sprint quality and the, and the race. Although, you know, I'm I loathe, I'm loathe to, to adjust... The, the, the you know the statistics aspect of it anymore by adjusting the race result number of points but ultimately it's not it's not quite working and the thing that really mystified me was you got Botas and, and Mercedes announcing that he's going to fit a new power unit and therefore he has to start at the back but that doesn't apply until it gets to the race I mean if you had applied that after the standard qualifying and he started the sprint at the back again that would have massively changed at uh, the dynamic of both the sprint and the eventual Grand Prix. So, th- th- you know, details like that also are really have a huge influence in the weekend that just seemed to, to be odd, uh, honestly. And I, uh, yeah, I, I, I does, it didn't work for me. They, they need to keep changing it. I guess they're going to try it a third time this year um, I don't really see what they adjusted between Silverstone and Monza. Did, I don't think they changed anything, did they? So maybe they're just using the same yeah, rules. Yeah,
0: no, they did. The uh, the lorry didn't go anywhere.
1: <laughs> that's they right. Just, they just climbed
0: up on it, got a medal from Olympian, okay. and they so had an the interview adjustment. and walked off. That
1: was the change. Mm. Was a great change. Well, and they had more. They had some actual athletic sprinters, didn't they, on Saturday? Randomly, yeah, they did. Yes. Uh, so uh, again. Uh, they need to they need to play they need to use these three races or the one remainder from in, in 21 to, to try changing the sprint race format itself in some way to make it better because right now um you could have watched as we said the first lap or two and then probably just shut it off because there wasn't it wasn't very interesting after that sadly i mean especially again monza as, as you said earlier with, with the low drag configuration and the DRS being less effective I mean it was quite hard to pass uh, especially with, with the way the McLarens were set up um, they, you know, they were flying down the straights so anyone behind them was going to was going to struggle to make a pass I mean Hamilton eventually got past Norris in the race before he collided uh, well before he took his pit stop but you know it took him what a, a whole first stint to be able to achieve the pass but uh, yeah, something something is not right, is it? I agree with you. Anyway, should we talk about positive things?
0: Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, although I do have one more thing to say about, <laughs> about the weekend. Okay. Yeah, But yeah, no, I'm with you. Positivity is great. What about um, adding a little incentive to Friday practice? What if Fastest Lap got a point at the end of Friday practice or something along those lines to give you... To give the casual fan a little bit more reason to watch, to give the teams a little bit more consequence for Friday, as opposed to this sprint qualifying that just seems to just throw a wrench in a lot of things, or excuse me, a spanner in a lot of things. I'm I or, you know, maybe there's some something we can work out, just like you say, a drastically reduced uh, lap count. But I think perhaps there's a different way to add interest to What has what is happening on Friday as opposed to moving qualifying to Friday because the other side of it is you have qualifying then you have another practice session. Some teams are still sorting out car setups in the rest uh, during these practice sessions and that compromises their qualifying seems to me there's more a more linear path to building up the excitement of Formula One on Friday still giving us qualifying on Saturday and the race on Sunday. All right. Positivity. If you want to add your two cents, please do. But then move on to something happier. Like, I like ice cream.
1: <laughs> I, I don't have a problem with the way Formula One's been run for some time. I don't have a problem with the practice on Friday, qualifying Saturday, race on Sunday. As I said before, I love, I really love uh, going to a Grand Prix on a Friday and um, just just enjoying watching the spectacle of f1 cars and if the viewership is a bit lower on fridays well never mind it's not the end of the world is it do you just get more viewers on the saturday and sunday i mean i i think it's it's not really necessary to to change the format and if you change as formula one did a few years ago where they changed qualifying but then went back to the original yeah we've tried sprint and the conclusion is it doesn't seem to be very good so let's just Go back to how it was until we can come up with a better idea.
0: Yeah, and I mean, kudos to Formula One for trying it, but I think we're we're starting to build enough data here to know that this isn't the right, the best way to go.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, let's talk about the race results. So, Daniel Ricciardo uh, took his first McLaren win, and uh, was backed up by his teammate Norris, who got second. So, it's a McLaren one-two, their first victory since. 2012, when Jensen Button won in an Interlagos, and um, you know it's a remarkable win. And I think the most remarkable aspect of it was, okay, it was helped a little bit by you know Perez's poor performance, Bottas's uh, p- uh, power unit uh, penalty, and the clash between Hamilton and Verstappen. But they were right there. I mean, they were threatening, you know, third and fourth on the grid in qualifying. They they couldn't be passed in the sprint. And once they got in the lead in the race, no one looked like passing them, did they?
0: <laughs> that's right. No, that's one hundred I mean, Ricardo made a pass in the sprint qualifying at the start to start on pole. That's how he did it. And all the uh all the collisions and everything that happened, the mega talking point for in Hamilton, all of that happened behind Ricardo. Right. So he was in he was in the lead on merit now would he've been able to keep the lead for all what is it 52 laps 53 that that's the question mark but they they were on pole and in the lead on merit and they held the lead on merit they were both of them lando norris and daniel ricardo both of them drove extremely well
1: yes yeah, so if hamilton hadn't been taken out by verstappen he still had to try and get past Norris and Ricardo and the balance of what he probably had about 30 laps to do it no guarantee he was unable to pass Norris in the sprint race and as I mentioned he, he, he uh, despite passing Norris prior to his, his pits he actually came out behind Norris so he had to do it again so it, there was no guarantee Hamilton was, was going to pass one or both of them and then you just have to look at Perez Perez never put in a single passing effort on Norris for the entire time he was behind him never looked close to making a pass and Botas never looked like making a pass on Perez. So for the remainder well, of the on, race... Well, that's not true.
0: The, the second part, Botas passed Perez, but then Perez passed him back.
1: Okay. Alright, I stand corrected. I'd forgotten yeah. that moment of excitement. But, okay, I think my first point... Stay positive, Chris. Okay, I think my first point is accurate, though. Did you ever see Perez taking a look at Norris? Absolute, oh, no, I, I agree.
0: Didn't... Yeah, first point is absolutely accurate,
1: yeah. Yeah. So, no, I mean, McLaren, awesome setup. The car was quick, fundamentally, and it was it was raceable, and it was almost impossible to pass on the track. So, uh, amazing a really amazing renaissance by mclaren i mean they've been on a steady upward slope the last couple of years but it's only really been a midfield fight they've been battling you know ferrari and alpine but now it looks like it's certainly at monza they were very close to being at the ultimate level almost up with red bull and and mercedes so it's phenomenal and i love the you know lando norris is a class act isn't it i mean there's a lot of drivers who could have been gutted having had such a strong season to be pipped to the first win by a teammate. But he was overjoyed, I think, for the team, for Daniel. So that was wonderful to see. And then obviously Daniel, massive relief, huge joy. You know, he's had a tough, tough year. Hasn't really gone the way he expected. And he's he's come back and he's put in, you know, a wonderful drive. So assured um, to to take, uh, you know, another win. I think it's his eighth eighth Grand Prix win now. So phenomenal by both of them so really really enjoyed that and the joy on the podium
0: it was his 8th Grand Prix win and his not only his first for McLaren but his first that was not for Red Bull so uh, that was I think a really nice uh, weight off his shoulders to prove that he could win with more than one team
1: and he got the fastest lap (laughs) I mean it couldn't get any better really race win fastest lap awesome absolutely yeah so so that's huge I mean in the in the battle with Ferrari McLaren have now taken a big old lead thirteen and a half and a points they've, they've got, jumped up to third place uh, so that that could be quite decisive in, in determining the overall constructors championship actually because I don't see I don't see McLaren or Ferrari scoring massively you know in a normal course of, of Grand Prix weekends uh, like that again so so that could be a very very big uh Change in in the in the midfield order, and um, in
0: another nod to the UK, and part of the reason why I anglified my tee as much as I could. Williams <laughs> scored points again. Will, I mean, speaking of taking commanding jumps, Williams now has 22 points. They are comfortably in eighth place. They're like they're not really threatening, but you start they start looking like proper back of the mid pack runners. You know, they're not that far from Aston Martin from this point. I mean, they're pretty far. But it's just the turnaround they've had as of late has just been insane. It's just been amazing to watch.
1: Yeah, and he beat uh, Russell, came ninth, and beat Ocon. So he was sandwiched between Alonso and Ocon. That's a a fair old effort, I agree. And Latifi was 11th too, so supporting... Yeah, Latifi was in the
0: points for good chunks of the race there and thereabouts. He was right there.
1: So not just Russell, it's a it's a it's a Williams Renaissance. So, yeah, I mean the mid, you know it was a good midfield battle, wasn't it? I mean uh, Leclerc uh, ended up fourth uh, ahead of uh, Perez and Carp. Obviously Perez got the five second penalty for uh, cutting the, the chicane to gain the place and not giving it back, which I think was a fair call. Um, Stroll snuck in with seventh. Of course Stroll. His race was built on taking out his teammate <laughs> early in the race. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but hey, you know, just keep the team in mind, not the individual. So uh, he did. That was one of his best races in a long time. Um, and as you said, we had uh, Alonso, Russell, and Ocon rounding out the top ten. So, yeah, some some good performances there. What did you What did you make of Perez's weekend?
0: <laughs> Boy, I, it was stressful. Um, it's certainly stressful. It was, it was a recovery weekend to a certain extent, but uh, I think there's that, that tension of I should be faster and I know it, I think is really starting to get to Perez, and it's just affecting his driving. He got very good at really solid tire wear and kind of sneaking up to the podium, almost, when he would be in Sauber or Force India. And now here he is in a top team, and it just seems like he's he's trying so hard and his his moves look a bit on the desperate side you know what i mean and yeah it, yeah yeah and we were well, talking about earlier how verstappen seems to get away with just incredibly aggressive driving and i think perez thinking well maybe that's the red bull way and i should drive that way as well and but he's not quite as good at it
1: yeah, I mean, his driving looked ragged, didn't it? I mean, in qualifying, he was sticking wheels in the gravel. He he just looked to be overdriving. So it looks like he's trying to compensate for the, the, the time deficit to Verstappen by trying a different, more aggressive driving style. And doesn't seem to be working, unfortunately. And, you know, I mean, if you think about it, going back to the... I, I, I commented earlier about how Mercedes and Hamilton had lost in their battle with Verstappen. But, you know, Botas and Mercedes definitely won in the second driver contest here. I mean, you know, we know that Perez needs to take an engine penalty as well at some point in the balance of the season. They elected not to at this race, and yet he still only, you know, managed to get a fifth-place finish, whereas Botas took the penalty and finished on the the podium. I mean, so huge win for Mercedes there. So, um, yeah, it was... That, that, that mistake in the chicane, I mean, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me why you wouldn't just give the place back immediately rather than taking a five-second penalty. That, that, that's not just Perez's mistake. That's the team's mistake. They should mm-hmm. have been on the re- radio immediately telling him to give the, the place back to Leclerc. And yes. then, you know, you have another crack the next lap or, or, or two. So, yeah, some re- really odd... Decisions by both the driver and the team in this in in that scenario, and and a big win for Bottas, I think, as we we touched on earlier, a really strong weekend for him. Uh, I guess the being able to announce to the world he's becoming an Alfa Romeo driver seems to have taken the weight off his shoulders, and he's driving more freely all of a sudden. Certainly, driving better and faster.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I completely agree that it seems, and I think he even said so. It's like now that this is done, I can just focus. On the racing, I don't have to worry about that side of things, and I think that that's absolutely right. And from a team perspective, you made some shrewd comments about Verstappen's championship status, but Mercedes is now 18 points clear of Red Bull, and that's obviously far from insurmountable. But you know, for them to be maintaining the constructors' lead despite of what what's going on, is uh, is definitely helping them, and. Yeah, McLaren is now 14, well, 13 and a half points ahead of Ferrari. And it's really interesting. There's a clear battle for number one in the championship, uh, constructors. There's a clear battle for number three in the constructors. And then a pretty darn tight battle um, for uh, fifth. But fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth start to blend in. Fifth, Fifth, sixth, and seventh, certainly. But right now it is... Alpine Renault in fifth, Alpha Tauri in sixth, McLaren in seventh, and oof, sorry to bring it back to negative, but Alpha Tauri probably didn't uh, leave Italy quite as enamored as others.
1: I think you just said McLaren in seventh there. I think it's Aston Martin in seventh.
0: Yeah, I misspoke. I apologize. Yes, Aston Martin, Mercedes in seventh.
1: Yeah, um, Alpha Tauri had had an awful, awful weekend, but... um, Poor old Gasly revisiting the site of his great triumph. Uh, that'll put a bit of a dampener on his Monza memories f- in the future. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I think Aston Martin's a little bit out from the Alpine alfatari battle on on, the, on a regular weekend. Uh, they just. Have, broken ground on their brand new facility so they're they're very serious about the future i think aston martin will continue to strengthen in the coming seasons which is which is good news um great investment by lawrence stroll i guess the um you know you're right there's some good championship battles up and down the grid uh the one thing that i uh i did enjoy uh, last comment for me was really the the has inter-team battle the uh Mick Schumacher, Nikita Mazepin, crash yeah. at the Roger chicane. Uh, yeah, they, they, uh, Mazepin actually held his hands up on, on this occasion and said it was his fault.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that, that's exactly the point I was going to make, is th- there was real progress made in the sense that Mazepin did actually own up to it and didn't just blame Mick. You know, credit where credit's due, Mazepin, uh, you know, took it on the shoulder.
1: There were some interesting comments from Mick, Uh, regarding his dad and and obviously um, his mum was in the news about the new Schumacher documentary that's going to be released here shortly. Mix is saying his dad's the best ever. Uh, I guess his view is probably not the most impartial one. Um, I think he's absolutely in his rights to think of his dad as the greatest ever uh, as far as dad or racing driver. I I don't really uh, begrudge him that opinion. I'm not sure everyone would agree with that, but, uh, but you know, why, why, not, why not get it out there? And uh, um, it's interesting, we didn't really learn too much more about uh, Michael's actual condition. Uh, they're still using very vague language. Um, I mean, clearly, you know, he's still not the man he, unfortunately, was before the accident. Um, but it's clear that the Schumacher family are doing an extraordinary job to... Keep him close, make sure he knows he 's loved and and do whatever he needs to be supported on a daily basis so that 's you know a huge hugely admirable thing and and us uh, all hope that Michael you know is in a good in a good place and and feels loved and, and is and continuing his recuperation uh, i guess the the thoughts are that there won 't be any more announcements about him that this was basically karina 's statement about their lives as it as the, as it is now and and she's going to draw a line under that and hope that the interest will will dissipi- dissipate but uh, but yeah i don't know are you going is that a documentary you might watch
0: uh very likely so yeah so i obviously haven't seen medical records or anything like that but based on what i know um michael Schumacher michael Schumacher's incident his his skiing accident was very similar to my accident I had mine february of twenty thirteen He had his December or maybe it was November late November it was in that time frame of twenty thirteen and um you know in at a high level the accents were very very similar heavy heavy blunt forced trauma to the head and i have a i have a suspicion that he is uh his injuries are such that he is Cognitively aware, but not able to, not as mobile, not mobile, and also maybe not as able to communicate. And uh, so, I nothing short of just applaud the family's efforts to just maintain that level of outwards expressions of of love and care for him because. You know, even if he can't reciprocate in the ways that you are used to, you know, he's still it's still there. and again, this is pure speculation on my point on my part, but uh, based on the the tiniest little fragments we've gotten, that's that's my guess. And uh, like I said, I have a little bit of insider knowledge in the sense that I experienced something not too dissimilar at roughly the same time. And uh, I was very lucky to recover in a different way than he has. So, uh, yeah, you know, the problem that Michael Schumacher has is that he had such an extremely public life. And in addition to that, he was also very, very good at that public life. He was very pleasant to see in uh, different circumstances. You know, I still remember um, when he did a guest appearance on Top Gear. And quote unquote mm. pretended to be the Stig for a little right. while, so he could drive yep. that Ferrari XX. He, the FXX. He, he does that. He did that stuff really, really well. He was a great showman. He was a great public figure, and so it's so, it's, it's understandable that the public really wants to know his status to see if there's any way that he can be any kind of public figure again. I think, I mean, that's part of it is there's such a huge appetite for it because that was one of his strengths. And, you know, it's it's one of the worst compliments in the world, I suppose, but it is a sense, in a sense, a compliment to the Schumacher family that their dad was so desired on so many levels for the public.
1: Well, yeah, m- I mean, massive, massive popularity in Germany and obviously in Italy uh, through all his success with Ferrari and... And, you know, racing fans around the world. I mean, I don't remember being in Indianapolis during, you know, his you know, his peak and huge popularity amongst the, the U.S. public uh, that was present at the races. I mean, you know, he was considered at that, that time by many people here to be, the, you know, the greatest of all time. But, you know, again, that's probably something we could have a whole podcast debating. But for, for sure, you know, when you lose uh, someone who's been associated with the sport um, you know, in such an incredibly strong way, and all of a sudden he just disappears completely um, from from a public life, and yet you can't really mourn him because you know he's obviously still around. It's a very difficult, puts everyone in a difficult situation, and you know, obviously we wish him and the family well, and uh, hope that he, hopefully, gets to a point where he can come back out and, and uh, let us know what he thinks about more recent Formula One.
0: Yeah, well, uh, more than anything, we just want to hear Schumacher's opinion on the Verstappen-Hamilton. Crash, <laughs> right, right? <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> oh, he would have taken Hamilton out. There's no <laughs> doubt about that in my <laughs> mind. He would have applauded Max's uh, acumen there.
0: But, uh, I mean, but we, we do seriously need to take a moment to give Mick uh, a kudos and a shout-out here. Think about the pressure he's under to be the son of that person and now entering the public... Uh, entering the public sphere becoming celebrity in that sense to have to keep your personal life personal when so many people are so curious about your own father oh i mean credit to mick for dealing with it as well as he has thus far
1: yeah mick, mick is yeah a phenomenal kid uh he speaks incredibly well uh he's very smart and uh you know, the whole time he's been in motor racing, there's been a, a, an enormous amount of scrutiny. I mean, even when he was trying to race under his mother's maiden name, I think everyone knew, of course, who he was. And they've tried to give him some space. But ultimately, there's always been this curiosity. You know, could he be a, just as successful as his father? Um, so, no, I mean, I, I, I think he's he's done. He, he's He's kept the Schumacher name uh you know and, and represented it really really well so far in his formula one career as we've talked about in the past it'd be be wonderful if he could uh do it in a slightly more competitive car so he can get a real sense of how talented he really is but uh but you know he doesn't have too much control over that at the moment so um but yeah he's, he's doing a he's doing a good job and representing himself and the, and the family really well so far i think
0: yeah yeah um anything else you want to say about the italian grand prix weekend um,
1: no, I think that's pretty much it. Well,
0: we uh, we have a week off from Formula One. It, they are going to be uh, in a fortnight. Well, it's less than a fortnight now. But uh, it, we've got a weekend off before they head to Sochi to the Russian Grand Prix at uh, September 24th, 25th, 26th. Um, but like I said, uh, there is an IndyCar race coming up in just a few days' time at Laguna Seca. It is always, always great to watch IndyCars race Laguna Seca. I'm very much looking forward to that. That will be the penultimate round of the 2021 IndyCar Championship. And uh, with that week off of Formula One, we, I w- we will focus on IndyCar racing next weekend with, I'm sure, some Formula One news to discuss as well. But I couldn't agree with you more that Mick deserves the credit that you uh, said. And I think Mick Schumacher should reward himself with watching my Nissan Pathfinder video on YouTube. Because that's it. I have a new video. It's on the Nissan Pathfinder SL. It is the fifth generation Pathfinder. It is a 2022 model. There is no such thing as a 2021 Nissan Pathfinder. And I can't wait for you to ask me questions, Chris, like how much it costs.
1: Well, I think the big question is, did you find the path?
0: Yeah, it. it, it you'll find it.
1: Um, I'm sure it costs a lot. Forty-five grand. There you go. It's my wild guess.
0: You're extremely close. So, as tested, it was actually less than that. It was forty-three nine. But uh, good on you for being uh, so near, so near this time. The base price for a Nissan Pathfinder is under—is uh, it under thirty-five or under thirty-six? Now I have to double check. But it's—it's it's actually reasonably low cost considering that it is almost two hundred inches long seats seven or eight people depending on how you get it configured and has a robust 284 horsepower v6 with a nine-speed automatic transmission to power it around
1: is that a key journalistic metric then the dollar per foot
0: (laughs) no sir it is not it is (laughs) it's a general truth that uh, cars tend to get more expensive as they get bigger that's all
1: well, that's certainly uh, true here, I would suggest, but not necessarily in every market. But it is true in the United States. Yes, yes, exactly okay, right. It is better. Good. Well, it sounds like you're impressed.
0: Well, certainly, certainly, I, I don't know if I'd go as far to say it would be my first choice um, were I in the market. But it is a, it's a big improvement over the last generation car, to be sure. And I think that uh, there are a lot of people that would see it as their first choice. All things considered.
1: Well, I think regular listeners will know, Robin, that your first choice is invariably always a Honda, isn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I do not own the the most expensive Honda I own, sir, is a Honda Harmony lawnmower that I bought used (laughs) 10 years ago. (laughs) Okay. But for now, I want to thank you for listening. Please take a moment to review us on iTunes or on whatever platform you get our podcasts Please leave comments on the episode of your choice by going to funwithcars.com. As always, I can be reached at feedback at funwithcars.com. Tweet us at fun underscore with underscore cars. And check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash FWCars. And, yeah, always good to end on lawnmowers, Chris. Thanks for another great conversation.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Robin.
0: I'm Robin Warner. Goodbye.